You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. I'm not the host of a podcast, so I feel like I should be rotated out of this. I'm not the host of the podcast, so I feel like I should be rotated out of this. But here we Never. go. First of all, kind of... you got to scoot back away from the microphone. But we've talked about this. That's true. Yeah. So that you can project your gotta... voice a little bit. <laughs> That's right, because I, I get too much of the, the soulful Vader, Vader voice. So I gotta, <laughs> gotta increase the pitch. Yeah. So. All right, here we go. So all right. welcome, everybody, to uh, Bro Chat. What are we, volume six this week, I think? I think so. So seven, pretty excited. Six or seven. So, yeah, six or seven. Uh, that's a good point. We'll say seven. Seven point seven. In fact, all of them are like six point oh's and five point oh. So that shouldn't. We got to start adding some variations there. But uh, anyway, we're here with our uh, host. We got uh, Rain Waters. He's the crowd favorite. Obviously, the Afterburn podcast, and then uh, Vader, who's up and coming challenger to that seat of the Kodiak Chat <laughs> podcast. And I'm just here to have a good time. Uh, but Special welcome to Drago Walters, who's here from uh, where you're at Buckley now, right? Buckley. Buckley. Currently, currently at doing Sims. Nice, awesome. So welcome to the Bro Chats. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of Rain's Patreon supporters. Uh, <laughs> and if we ever get some on the Kodiak Shack podcast, I thank you in advance. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to make a Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. That's my intro. That's all I got. Yeah. There we go. Nailed it. So, uh, well, as we, as is tradition on the uh, Kodiak Shack podcast, Drago, thanks for being here and uh, tell us about yourself. It's not a trap. 
That's always a trap, man. Uh, uh, Drago, man. I, I know Vader and Bender from, from way back. They, uh, they helped uh, raise me in the S16 community when I was in Masawa. And now I'm in the Buckley Guard flying Vipers for as long as I can. That's it. I like that. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah, so uh well I'll I'll talk about Drago and his uh his achievements cuz he's he's got a lot of them and uh and he's an impressive dude. So Bender and I were uh we were relatively uh old hat at uh, the 13th Fighter Squadron when Drago showed up. Uh we were about uh about a year into our time. Drago showed up. He was a fate uh prior and then uh he came out to Misawa uh for his first assignment into the F16 and then he actually got an instructor pilot upgrade and went to weapons school. Adam Masawa, which is uh, very uncommon for FAPES uh, to go to weapon school. Uh, and when I say uncommon, I think like one guy, two guys in the F-16 had done that. Uh, so big achievement. Went to Holloman and uh, pretty much put that place on his back. Uh, he won't say that, but I definitely will. And uh, he was doing great work at uh, Holloman, and now he's at Buckley, continuing to do great work. Um, so we we appreciate you being here, Drago. You're an awesome dude. And uh, – we, uh, it's good. This is good times. But, uh, Rain, the so. Kodiak Shack, the Kodiak Shack podcast, man. You gotta, gotta tell Blade and Roku, man. I'm excited. Oh, they're going to love it. They're going to be, they're, they're going to be, uh, having a good old time. Just throwing out shacks all over the place. That's right. The, <laughs> so before we get into, into fighter pilot stuff, we'll talk about some T1 stuff. Cause who doesn't want to talk about that? So Rain, can you, uh, can you give the premise for uh, what is going on right now in T1 land in uh, pilot training? Well, I mean, to be fair, like I'm not in the weeds, but just seeing what Air Force Times pumped out this week, or I guess last week, it looks like the T1 thing has changed up. So I talked about UPT 2.5. I think it sounds like Drago, you've been down to uh, Randolph to talk UPT 2.5. Still trying to like wrap my arms around it. I think there's a lot of like good things that are coming out of it. But one aspect is... Dudes and dudettes get their wings after T6s, which I had a question about that to begin with. Like, why are you getting your wings after T6s? I surmise that, hey, maybe this is just trying to fix a PowerPoint slide somewhere and, you know, we plus up and move it to the green green block. And now this year, so again, Skeptical Me is starting 1 January, according to the Air Force Times, the T1 syllabus is going to have 75 days of simulator training. They're getting sims from Redbird and then legacy T1 simulators. And all the T1 training is going to happen in the simulator. And then they're going to go off to their MWS. So they'll have their wings, I guess, advance. I don't think that is, let's see, it says Vance is slated to get them first and then it follow on uh, to Columbus and then Laughlin. So I don't think there's a whole lot of like complete data in this article to be fair. But it sounds like that's the trend and that's the way it's going, which, uh, I don't know, toss up to you guys. What do you think? I mean, it seems kind of spicy. Well, and one thing to add before we get into it is in the airline world, that is not uncommon at all. And most people who are going heavies, their entire syllabus, except for like one or two or three flights in the heavy world is is in the sim. So it's it's not an uncommon thing. It's just very uncommon for pilot training to do the majority of your training yeah. in a simulator. But, you know, the airlines now flying big old fat planes, you – a small portion of the syllabus is in IDTs or basically a flat screen simulator. Most of them, like majority of your syllabus is accomplished in a full motion simulator. 
Some of that is done because there's extra time in full motion simulators, but there's a mandate to have the full motion simulator. I can say, like the first time you go land a big old fat plane for an airline, yeah, sure, that's that's the first time you're really doing it. But you also have a lot of experience at that point to be sitting in that seat that you can lean on and you can blend the two worlds. I don't know if, I mean, I know for a fact that I guess if I went from T6s into the T1 simulator and then go to the C-17, I mean, I, I would imagine it's somewhere you're going to have to plus that up, but you're going to lose, you're losing airmanship. Anytime you're not flying, getting air up under you, like you're losing opportunities for airmanship. And the sim is great for getting reps, like doing DCA or C. You can get a bunch of good reps to get the mech, but at some point too, you got to get out there and do it. I, I don't know. This one. So Drago was able to go visit the, uh, I don't know, the Genesis or the location where these ideas were kind of formed, which we've had uh, Tiger and uh, Slayer from Debt 2.4, which is where Pilot Training Next or PTN or PTT, however you want to use the acronym you want to use. But Drago went out there. But before we get into the story of what Drago learned when he went out there, Drago, do you want to tell the story? about how you got the invite out there, or should I tell the story about how you got the invite with you the can, uh, Facebook uh, message? We here at the Kodiak Shack Podcast would like to welcome our new sponsor, Adamus Cyber. Working with the military means there are some minimum cybersecurity requirements that are in every contract. Complying with these requirements can be painfully slow and really take your company's focus off your military customers and end users. Thankfully, the team at Adamus has simplified the process exclusively for small businesses working with the military. It should be expected that security requirements are going to be a part of working with the military, but they don't have to be difficult. Learn why prior guests on the podcast like Arun from Ops Lab or Brian from Rescon use Adamus to comply with the NIST 800-171, DFARS 7012, and CMMC cybersecurity requirements in their contracts. Check out their website at www.adamuscyber.com and tell them you heard about them from the Kodiak Shack podcast. Their website will be in the show notes. We appreciate all the companies that want to work with the military, and we understand working with the government isn't always the easiest thing, uh, but we appreciate companies like Adamus that make it just a little bit easier. Dad, so you're talking about our story or Stab's story? No, our story. Like how how everything erupted with the UPT 2.5 uh, video. That guy. How bad we were hurting in a gym that day, man. You could tell that story. That was, uh, All right. that was great. <laughs> you could tell that story. So, uh, so Drago and I are stationed at Holloman. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody doesn't know, each fighter squadron has multiple chats, whether it's on like Slack or – uh, I don't need like, uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, group me WhatsApp. Yeah. Group me WhatsApp. WhatsApp. And, and there's going to be layers of chats. So there's going to be the entire squadron is on a chat. And then there's going to be like, there's going to be a bro chat where it's like, Hey, only the younger dudes, the dudes who are cool are on a bro chat. And that chat's not talked about so much. So Drago and I arrive at the Holloman fitness center, uh, in roughly the same time. And we are both not feeling great from the adult sodas we had the night prior. We were, uh, we, were, we were struggling to find the motivation to get a workout in. And as I'm, like, walking up to the gym, the bro chat for the squadron I was in, the 8th Fighter Squadron, uh, 
they post this video and it was a video of UPT 2.5 and anybody who's kind of been in the industry knows that this video was, it was a huge like divergence or, or separation from what the reality of UPT is. And they just made like these nice, like friendly or, or in, I don't know. How do you, how do you explain what that video was? I mean, it, it was, it was categorically tone deaf and offensive to the people that view fighter aviation as what it is as, as managing like airplanes as lethal weapon systems to like do combat and kill people. Like it's, that's what we, we do. And to see people draw characters about it and, and the tone that that video struck is offensive to anybody who considers themselves in earnest to be a warfighter, man. And it's crazy that nobody asked any of us before they published it, you know? So, and this is why Drago's here. Cause he, he says it just better than me. I could never said it that good, but, but uh, that, but so yeah, that is, that is it to a T you are exactly correct. And Drago, like I see this video and I see Drago in the gym and I show him the video and he's like, this can't happen. So then we decide <laughs> being, yeah. So we decide as technologically unsavvy people that somebody has to post this. So I get the video and I'm going to post it to, I think it was the calf fighter page. Like it was like the fighter page with three star generals and, and everybody there. But I don't know how to leave a comment because I'm incapable of understanding. So I just post it. Really so it's posted without comment, which was like another layer of, uh, I don't know, like aggression that apparently instead of saying <laughs> something, I said, no things. Uh, and no one knew it was because that's right. And it was yeah. totally on accident, which is most of my life. And, uh, so we post that and, well, one of my buddies, I've talked to him, talked about him a lot on the po the Kodiak Shack podcast, Tron Bloom. I'm halfway through my workout and he goes, Hey, did you mean to get a two star general's attention with that post? And I was like, ah, oh, don't read the comments, man. Like life is just easier that way. And I uh, had no idea what was going on, but turns out it blew up. I mean, the entire community, all communities just were in an uproar about it. And then on that Facebook chat, there is a invite put out there and Drago and some leadership from Holloman actually accept the invite and go out to Randolph to see for themselves in person what's going on. Did I, did I explain that well enough, Drago? Yeah, yeah, there was some amplifying data that's not relevant <laughs> to the podcast, but yeah, that's, that's in the current that happened. And it was cool, man. And we went down, you want to hear about the visit when we went down? Yeah, I think it'd be cool for people to hear about it. Now this was, what was it, circa 20, 2020, 2021, something like that. 2021, probably 2020, 20, early 2021, uh, coming up on two years ago now. But it was, I mean, it was, we wanted to go down and see, and obviously like we're, I was in the B course at the time. So we're seeing like, you're back in the ATC machine and you hear a lot of things and you do get concerned a lot about a lot of things that result or are the product of the lack of airmanship that you see from people coming in. I, I dealt with some of those with some of the students personally. And I, I want to say on the other side of it, you, you are always in the fighter industry in the situation where you're like, we're not flying as much. It's getting worse and the sky is falling. And a lot of times people are resourced a little bit worse, but by nature of the people that we, um, that are drawn to the types of jets that we fly, like 
you can overcome a lot, you know, of, of lack of resourcing with the right attitude and the right motivations. And so a lot of times, like nothing is quite as bad as you think that it is or that it will be, but sometimes it is. And when it manifests itself uh, in our job, like those, those things are immediate and they often have like pretty dire consequences. And that's why we take them seriously. And we've all been there, man. Like we all in this job have, have friends that don't sit at the table anymore uh, in ever increasing number. And that's how we count, right? That's the context that we view this through. That's our lens. And that's, that's important for people that don't have that same lens to understand that like when they don't think things are a big deal, uh, we think about it in terms of like our friends that aren't with us anymore, man. Like it is a big deal. We understand the terms. All right. So you want to go down and see it. So we go down and see it and we're, we're having an open mind about it. And general Wills is gracious and he has us, he sets up a tour at PTN and at, um, AF, AFPC, which, uh, which that was, I, we'll just go through that one right now. That was exactly what you expect. We went to AFPC, nobody was working and then we left. That's how that one went. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not sorry for that. It was a work day. Uh, oh, <laughs> we, went, we went to PTN, dude, and uh, and those guys had a lot of. There was just so much pride in that building, man. They were very well resourced, and there was a lot of pride in that in that building. But what they were doing and what they were practicing, man, we'd seen like. Their, their kids were getting through F-16 training, but they were always the the last one in the class, right? And I think that when we look at the the way that we're trying to reshape learning and, and talk around the fact that when we take people out of airplanes, it inherently takes away airmanship. And if you, any other words are, are nonsense. But that's not a one-to-one -one depending on what they're going to go fly, man. The more automated the airplane was, the more uh, transferability that that has to the airplane they're going to fly, the better that that is going to to manifest itself when they get there, right? So in the fourth gen fly-by-wire airplanes, I, there's probably the least amount of transferability between like the things that keep you alive and VR. And so we see the biggest disparity in in that type of training as it is at, as it manifests itself in our airplanes. Does that make sense? That's not a one for one for everybody. We can't say like, dude, Sims in lieu of, of airplane training are a sin in this one airplane, the same as they are in this other airplane, because every everyone's different based on the PVI and the ergonomics in those airplanes. So it's just how people learn and, and, and feel and fly, right? So we're trying to have an open mind, but we're trying to give them that data too. And and whenever you go there, it's very frustrating because they're talking about what a resounding success it is. <clears throat> and and do they they're great people and they work so hard to do this thing and they're very invested in it, but you want to, their spreadsheets are all green. And that's when you start to lose hope a little bit when you're like, look, if you're, if your wind line is to send us the person that is struggling the hardest in all of our classes, that is going to take the most of our time in all of the classes. Like, where is that? Where is that data on your green spreadsheets, man? Like, where is that feedback loop that doesn't get to them somehow from us who are the customer for the product that they are providing. And that that's, that's a pretty frustrating time when you like, when you feel like it's common knowledge and then it's not right. And so you're yeah. kind of fighting through that, but that, that was kind of the crux of the tri trip to Randolph, man. Like you, there's a lot of good ideas and a lot of passion and, and honestly a lot of resources there to invest in, in things that are going to streamline training and at face value, they, they're good ideas and they're run by good people who are passionate about what they do and they, and they deserve that respect. Um, but in action, right, they're not built for attrition. They're not built for necessarily reality and the feedback loop to them 
because it exists in the United States military is not always streamlined such that they get the actual feedback about how they are, the, the, the product that they're providing, I think. And so, I don't know. That's a lot of words to say. I have real mixed feelings about it, man. Uh, some of them aren't for this podcast or this audience, but uh, I had a lot of really hard feelings about it. I obviously am on the, I think the thing that we do in the F-16 that, that we can't sacrifice, that other people need to adopt no matter what, when the wind line is, if people are, are living or dying in airplanes, is you got to be an honest broker about your capabilities, man. And dude, F-16 makes you makes you a good pilot and guys are going to make fun of that, but it does. You got to do a lot of things and you're the sensor f- fusion module in your airplane. You, you're doing the most a person can in an airplane to be relevant in 2022 in, in that jet that has an 80-something tail on it, right? And there's no computer that, that helps you do that. You got to do it, man. And you got to be good to do that, period, dot. And so you know who's who in the zoo in that, in that jet, man. But you also know when you're, not, when you're not as good at doing something as somebody else. And so it makes you very honest, like at a mission planning table or um, when somebody asks you for feedback about your limitations, right? Like, Bender, you taught me that. And Vader, you taught me that when I was young on the side one. It's still very true today, man. Like, you got to be an honest broker about your capabilities. You never want to oversell what you do, right? Because we talked about the costs. And you worry that if the feedback doesn't reach the people with all the great ideas and the resources and the passion, like even though they have the best of intentions at Randolph, can they really be honest brokers about what they are doing, about the product that they are providing? And the answer, the answer to that, with that without a usable feedback mechanism is no, they can't, right? Um, and so that's, that's a little bit disheartening when you, when you feel like there's a lot of good people involved in it, but you feel a little bit um, displaced from where you can make a change because you can't, you don't have an open line of communication to them, dude. So that sucked a little bit, um, but good folks. And I, I just wish that, I don't know. I wish that we could, we could across the board realize and say, as it is a fact that all of us know that fly airplanes, that you cannot use VR as a replacement to training and not accept, accept, Right, the fact that you are going to buy a corresponding decrease in airmanship, there, there is no way. Right, how much decrease in airmanship totally depends on the ergonomics that go into flying your airplane. Right, but thou shalt not take away flight time, and and not lose something, and that that loss is airmanship, and then by 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 virtue risk. Right. Like they dropped that that video when like all those planes were crashing and people kept dying that one summer and they had just like totally gutted all of our training, right? And those people that had been gutted for resources and training were the ones that were like mortaring themselves in airplanes. <laughs> they were like, they dropped that video Air Force Wide that was like, you guys got to do your ORM sheets, you know? And there was like music and shit in the background. And you're like, what? That's insane, man. How is that the, that's not the way to solve this problem, man. Like resource me to train these people. So that when they take off, there is inherently less risk because they are better. They are they are resource better to do it. And there is, um, dude, I, I went off. Hopefully, you can edit ten minutes of that out. But that <laughs> to is, the record, uh, sorry, dude. That, I got two questions. You know, no. So yeah, the first one is uh, I I know pilot training next, right? It's UPT two point five now. I don't have the whole uh, thing memorized, so I know they've iterated. I think the first round, and maybe it held true through multiple rounds of that until it made it to 2.5 and more of a traditional climate system. Did you guys see 
because originally I think the first PTN, like all the graduates or like half the graduates were supposed to be six months T6 or 179 days T6s to not trip 180 days with travel regulations and then kick them to the F-16. Did you guys actually see that? So we saw some of the dudes. No, we didn't see anybody go from T6 to the F-16. We saw people. Is that true? No, we did. Yes, we did. I'm sorry. That's a lie. We saw people that did IFF in a T6B with Slayer, who was on the podcast, right? Who uh, yeah. flew C-17s because that call sign was too cool to fly anything else. Uh, that guy's great, though. I'm not, I'm not angry. He is like, good. He's you're a good dude. Good man. You're a great dude. Uh, Life's <laughs> awesome. Um, but he's, but he's. I mean, he's not qualified to teach IFF, and I'll say it to his face, man. He's a C-17 guy that flies C- T-6s, man. Like, <laughs> you... <laughs> I'm sure he, I'm sure there are things that they can learn, but he's not he's not a fighter dude teaching IFF, man. And those are the rules. The, the first F in IFF is fighter. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> what are we uh, What are we doing? You know. Yeah. So we we saw him, and they those are the people that I'm describing, Rain. They, they they were the they struggled the most, and they would tell you that they struggled the most. Um, and uh, I think one of them did one assignment is going to the aggressors right now. And he's, he's a great dude, man. Like I really, my heart went out to him and he, he tried so hard and he really, I think did better than, than any of us thought that he would. And what was asked of him was, was just a Herculean effort, man. And he, and he, and he went through it, but he didn't excel by any stretch of the imagination. He struggled the entire time uh, because he, he had to have, I, I can't imagine the anxiety that that dude had going to the F-16 oh, yeah. with the base of, with the base of experience that he had going into that. Right. And that's, that's a really horrible place to put a person. Right. Um, I'm curious. and he, and he got through it man. Like big kudos to him. Right. He got through it through because he, he frankly took the weight of our, of our most experienced IPs and all their effort from the top of that squadron. And, and by virtue of the type of person that he was and the amount of effort that he put in, you know, and should that be the norm? Should we accept that? I, I think probably not. But can we accept it and still get to a solution that is safe and and eventually tactically proficient? Maybe is is the honest answer. We want to be like, no, we can't. But I mean, he he's doing fine. He just it just took a lot of work. Yeah, you got to wonder the baseline of. I remember them talking about how people got put into that pilot training next pipeline. And again, you know, it might have been based on it was like prior some prior enlisted, some you know maybe or CGO of the year who was a comm officer. Yeah. They were very selective. They, they did not take a normal sampling of like the Air Force population size going into going into jets, man. They took the top and they were like, these guys have to succeed. Yeah. So they so they didn't have like a, it wasn't a good sample size. And even so, not a resounding success as they would say it, right? And there was a lot of weird things when I went there, man. I know you're going to edit this podcast, but they gave you like one of those, uh, one of those rings that tells like that tells you every all your vitals and oh, like the it went to, like, ring or whatever phone, and they had to they had to like sign a waiver for it and i was like that's a non-starter for me bro like i'm not yeah like, no, in zero ways is my commander gonna have a ring showing my vital sign so he knows what i'm doing at 2 30 a.m like get out of here dude <laughs> yeah that's 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 crazy town yeah also not really uh, i apologize I wonder yeah. like, what the qualifications because we have like NGEP. I don't know if any of you guys went to NGEP, right? But pretty much the only 
more or less metric for NGEP, I think, is GPA. And like back in the day, like, well, you got to go to NGEP because you get jets. That's all changed, at least in my opinion. But you would see like, I don't know if you guys have opinion on dudes. They're great dudes who roll through NGEP. But then there are a lot who come out of NGEP. It's like, well, they were there, right? Because they're cream of the crop, which was their GPA that got them into that spot, more or less. And then turns out they roll in and everyone's getting a jet. So, well, guess what? You graduated eight in your class, so you're still getting a fighter. Uh, so congratulations. And again, it's it's changed like the demands. So Rain, that's what I believe that's the root cause of, of what we're seeing is is a little bit of the degradation in quality in the in the fighter industry these days. Is it's the fact that everybody is getting a fighter, yeah. man. When Vader was going through and Vader was going through UPT and I was going through UPT, <clears throat> like my class had one fighter out of my T thirty eight drop, man. That was it. Um, there, the class in front of me, it was all U 20. It's like, nobody got a fighter. And there were guys qualified in that class to five fighters. So it was incredibly competitive. And the people that we were sending to fighters were the, were the top of the T 38 class. Right. So now we're sending everybody and there are people in T 38s that do better and they've already exhibited capacity and skill sets and, and proficiency that other people haven't, that are going to be transferable in, in fighter aircraft. And we're sending people that haven't done that as much to fighters, no matter what, uh, because 19th Air Force is counting open fighter cockpits. They have conversations about it. They have spreadsheets about it. They're very concerned with the metrics as they pertain to fixing the fighter pilot crisis that was 100% avoidable by just letting people fly fighters when they weren't letting anybody from T-38 fly fighters. And, and that's the easiest root cause to run when you... When you send everybody to a thing and you become less selective, you will also buy a degradation, right, in quality. And it's it's so obvious that you shouldn't have to say it out loud, but apparently it's a surprise to people. <laughs> and that is that's mind boggling, man. Like that's that's insane. Here we are. <laughs> right? That's yeah. But well, I, I one think thing... it's important for the for the Randolph thing to go back to it. I do think it's important that when we when we come up with all these good ideas about how to save money and time. That when you do those things, no matter what they are and how good intention and how well resourced, you are buying a lack in, in airmanship. That is that's the cost of it. Right. And and that lack in airmanship, it manifests itself in additional risk to aircrew. And then I find that if you are not if you are on an SIB and that is not somewhere written down as a root cause or however SIBs work for for why that mishap happened. And it's somebody who lacked the resources and training to deal with it prior to that moment in time. Then, then that process is broken as well. And that's, that's disingenuous at best. Right. And, and I don't, I don't like that, I guess. Yeah. I think one, one uh, plus having uh, tiger and slayer on is that, and, and maybe we'll, we'll give ourselves credit, pat yourself on the back guys, because I think maybe we were the ones who kind of started the conversation of providing feedback. Cause like you said, Drago, like there wasn't a great way to provide feedback about the product, but after the PTT and PTN and UPT 2.5, all of those things like grew, grew and, and changed and became different because they said like, this is working, this isn't working as well. Uh, so the program has changed over, you know, the last two years. Uh, so I do appreciate that rather than just saying like, hey, this is our product, take it or leave it. They said, Hey, let's, let's keep like modifying this program and this, this course to make it produce the best product we can inside the constraints. Cause that's really what it is. Everybody's operating inside of constraints, UPT, the, the FTUs, the B courses for all jets, the calf squadrons, everybody has constraints. They just, 
you know, doing what they can inside of those. Yeah. So Rain was talking about UPT 2.5, man. And I had a lot of misconceptions about UPT 2.5. Um, because I assumed it was tied to PTN and I thought that the two were tied together and they're very different. UPT 2.5 was applying things they learned in PTN, like, and, and putting that into the B, into the, sorry, the T38 UPT syllabus or the entirety of the UPT syllabus. I just focused on T38s, I think, uh, because I'm down there and I was selfish, right? And I thought that they were going to be using a lot of this VR stuff that they had access to now to, um, in lieu of hours, like they had done when they cut the syllabus prior, but that was not in fact the case. It was not in fact the case. They were they were adding sorties back into UPT 2.5 to almost the amount of hours that was in UPT T38s when like me, you, and Bender went through. And I thought that was something that I I had a misconception about that I felt like I I should have owned up to because I because I was sitting there and I was saying bad things about it with pretty low SA, right? And additionally, they were going to use the VR stuff as a lot of augmentation to training, which is how it must be utilized to not buy that that lack in airmanship. Like let's increase the fidelity of our academic and ground training, but not give up, right, our, our training in airplanes, because that's the foundational skill set that we lean on when later on we lean on simulators, right? You got to have some sort of baseline built, period, right? And the problem does become, though, when they give you all those resources and they still in ATC are going to exist on a timeline. Now, the problem is not that you're not flying enough sorties. It's what are you getting out of those sorties in that training in a syllabus that is that is very well thought out, right? But also pretty complicated to schedule to to make that thing exist in a shrunken time frame. That's where you buy. That's where you buy the losses and the fidelity and training, man. Right? When you take that, yeah. it's exactly what they do with the B course, man. You take an eight month thing, you put it down to six months or whatever it is, and you compress that thing, and you are you have omnipresent pressure, either either real or you just have to pretend it's real. However, it works in ATC, but it's real, right? To get those dudes out the, out of the door on time. How, how are you able to do all of those same things, all that good training that you would like to do in less time? And the answer is you have to do it worse, right? Because you don't get something for nothing, man. Time and resources. Yeah. Like if you lose one, you're buying a degradation of something else. And those are those are the rules, man. Like that's <laughs> it's any NPC yeah. ever, man. You gonna skip a meeting? Sure, <laughs> dude. But I bet we I bet we hit each other in the marshal. Something's gonna come up. Yeah, you gotta put pen to paper. You gotta put pen to that's paper. Right. That's the key. That's yeah. that's what I learned. So uh, so unless anybody has any reattacks for uh, UPT or uh, the T1 stuff, I was going to shift gears to uh, to fighter stuff. Got a lot of hate out of our hearts, so it should be good now. Yeah, that's good. Take that. So, that's my uh, normal rain. I'm sorry, man. This is how I talk. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is, we're just, this is an average day. This is just a Tuesday or whatever day it is. Sorry, man. The, <laughs> no, this is, uh, so 13th fighter squadron in Misawa, Drago, Bender, and I were there. And, uh, so Drago, explain kind of the 13th. Obviously, people have heard us talk about the 13th, which before we get into that, uh, our boy Vegas, the uh, DO at the Panthers currently, CP to him, just reached CP, out. And uh, yeah, and uh, finally, and uh, he reached out and he said he appreciated it. And he said, Masawa's still awesome. And, uh, and I appreciate that. So Drago, give us, give everybody kind of your perspective of the 13th and, and your time there. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So everybody loves their first, or I don't know if everybody does, but everybody should love their first fighter squadron. And the 13th is my first fighter squadron. It's the best one. Uh, they fly the best airplanes, the Block 50 Viper, ain't nothing better. Except, Ooh. and this is true, guys, the Block 30 is is nice. All right? The Block 30 is <laughs> Occasionally, like, switches fall off, but you just tape them back on, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's got the best airplanes. It's got unlimited airspace. It had the best dudes on Earth. And, like, Misawa's cool because, like, Misawa is in northern Japan, so it's in, like, 1950s America, you know? So everybody's real close there. You don't get that remote pay. Ask Nike Harris. He's still mad about it, but uh, but it's pretty remote. So everybody's really, really close. Like you are on a remote assignment. So you got real tight knit units. You're flying great jets. You're doing cool stuff. Not when I went there, but before, and I, you and Bender got to do that. But they also got to deploy CENTCOM and do the thing and did tremendous work in CENTCOM and then came back and did I think the coolest mission set in airplanes, which is uh, suppression of enemy air defense. And they're, they're resourced to get really good training there based on their TDY locations, which are pretty awesome. And then and then just their airspace, which is for a 1,000 miles off the coast of Japan, surface to unlimited. And as long as you don't care about flying in clouds or at nighttime, it's perfect. <laughs> um, so in that, and we, it was just like, it was true fighter pilot stuff, man. We showed up. You guys taught us how to be fighter pilots. We raged uh, in the bar. We hung out with each other. And then we, on the weekends, like any seed unit, we'd go to the vault and we would study and we made each other better and we flew the heck out of those airplanes man and we got good real quick you know well i mean it's it's pretty easy to get good quick when you're doing 16 pit 16 turn 12s or whatever i mean you couldn't help but fly i mean well heck i mean most of us probably got wrapped for a month so wrap is your required flying uh and it's uh, roughly eight to ten uh, sorties a month on active duty, and you would get that in a week flying at Masawa. It was, uh, I mean, you got some airmanship, which we're talking about now how important airmanship is. Because you think about, so what we're seeing now is what VR, what simulators, what all those things provide is in a sterile environment, you understand how to operate and do things. But what you find is when you get out in the airplane, radios don't work. Weather doesn't work out. Jets break. And, I mean, Masao always felt like the Wild West to me. And Drago Bender, yeah. like, way in. like, And it just felt like it's not that we didn't have oversight, but the oversight wasn't apparent. So on, on a Monday through Friday, on an average day, like, we'd have dudes have EPs, and they'd bring them back, and it was like, sweet. And then we'd just do it all over again the next day. You know, it wasn't it wasn't crazy. But I think it was because everybody was so – current and had so much airmanship that they just handled it well you know yeah you're dropping dudes off in the flare with like ceilings at 200 feet on a formation approach with them with like no mfds in misawa and then like going back to make the second bolt you know what i mean like yeah. that, that's something <laughs> we would do it's like all right dude you good big fella and you just go back and then do this huge fight and that's just that's how it was, man. I think that's correct you know you did everything right and you're like all right man you know do whatever paperwork you need to but i gotta go get better and you would take off, yeah. man. Do I never forget my second sortie 
It might have been third. I, I just got into Misawa. I was like flying for the first two weeks. I was flying with Hobo, who's out of Top Gun. I just saw him, dude. He says hi, by the way. I told him I was nice. doing this thing. And he's a, he's a Top Gun IP right now uh, on the exchange from the 16th. But he was on like one of his late flug rides, maybe early eye plugs. Uh, and I was in that formation for no reason at all. <laughs> and I'd flown there three times. I got whatever LAO you maybe had given me, so it wasn't great. And, uh, and I didn't really know how to like get around. And it was it was nighttime. And he just like my jet was like delayed. And he's like, all right, man, meet us at the tanker. And I take like <laughs> twice in my life prior to that. I had never flown in Japanese airspace ever at all. And he just took off with a three ship, man. And so I remember this dude. I just took off into the night in Misawa and just it just found a tanker on my radar and just flew to it. I talked to zero people. I said no words to <laughs> Japanese patrols, man. And then, I, and then I just tanked and then I just flew because we were on Link 16. I just flew to him in the vol and I fought this entire vol. And nobody would have said it. Like nobody would have noticed this, man. I, I, my, I didn't set my altimeter until the tanker said it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the thing we do, man. You know, and I was just back there doing unacceptable <laughs> tanker stuff because I wasn't good at it. And then I just went and fought. And then we had so much to talk about because he flew like two seed bowls when we got back that like we, he was like, anybody got anything for admin? And I was like, yeah, man. Like, if you were a departure, <laughs> like, <laughs> how, would you, how would you get to a tanker? You know, <laughs> like, describe to me. <laughs> and, and he told me, and then we didn't get any calls from the Japanese FAA or whatever, and we just kept pressing, dude. It's fine. Yeah, and it worked out. That and that's why it was like the Wild West. Well, and I was actually just talking about uh, talking about this today with a guy at work that Misawa was – the transition altitude was – 14,000 feet, I want to say. You don't know that. You couldn't pass a written test that's, on the transition off the zone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that with a resounding question mark. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. But you could be VFR, so visual flight rules. You don't have to be in any sort of like controlled airspace up to 28,000 feet, which is a total plus, especially when you run you and or your wingman out of gas, uh, like 90 plus miles from the field. So you can just kind of like sky hook on the way home at 27.5 VFR and do whatever you want. So, yeah, there's, there's so some pluses. See rain. Yeah. See rain. You can't get away with that stuff at, at you know, in the States at Shaw or you anything, anything, right? Wants, right. That's the, that's the name. You do anything once. I was trying. Yeah. Not a whole, that's true. Not a whole lot of stuff going on up in the northern Japan. That's kind of nice. Eastern seaboard of the United States, slightly different story. And everyone's seen. Everyone will tell him. Oh. The thing that pissed me off about the the whiskeys in the off the East Coast that like Shaw and McIntyre and those squadrons use is they look on a map. You look at them and you're like, dang, that's pretty solid airspace. It looks eerily similar to the Misawa airspace. But what you realize is it's like 80 miles long and then they cap it at 50 or yep. 30 a whole bunch of times. Which everybody's like, oh, F-16s, why do they need to go above 30? Turns out, Block 50 F-16s want to go above 30 all the time. So uh, it's not all the time, but a lot of times. Uh, but, yeah, so it was – I was disappointed when I got out to Shaw, and they're like, oh, Bulldog airspace, all oh, the whiskeys. And I was like, nah, I'd rather be over over the uh, ocean and uh, and up in the 40s with my, with my friends. I guess you get used to uh, wearing poopy all the time there, huh? Man, yeah. that was talk about speeding. So we'd be out there. Oh, 
the uh, we'd be out there and it would be like, I don't know, 50, 40 some degree oceans. So we'd be in poopy suits and we'd wear cat suits under. So poopy suits are anti-exposure suits. So they have, uh, think of like, it's a dry suit for everybody uh, who knows what a dry suit is. And uh, they would make us wear thermals under that. So it was cold outside. It was like 20 degrees and snowing most of the time. So it wasn't that bad, but it was aggressive when the, the winds would be, I don't know, 10 knots above the limit over the water. And they're like, no, nah, it's cool. Just stay within gliding distance to land. Or the waves would be 15 feet when they can't be over 10. And they're like, just stay within gliding distance to land and you're fine. And you're like, this is so dangerous. And then you say, what if I go out of control? And they're like, I'm not worried about that. Like if you eject, the prevailing winds will blow you back over the, uh, the island of Japan. You're good. Good to go. And then we flew in Korea and we did the same thing and nobody else flew that day. Do you remember that? We were on Kunsan for some exercise. <laughs> we were like, oh, winds oh, and waves, man. And like everybody else canceled. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, you don't do this thing? They were like, yeah. no, you could die. <laughs> no, this, our, our uh, OGVs gave us a map. Look at that. It tells us you got to be right. above 35,000 to be over there. But, yeah, just crazy stuff. Oh, man. So, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good, Drago. The Do strongest it. thing I've ever seen with the poopy suits was Bender was stepping on an iPod ride. Do you remember this? Bender was stepping on an iPod ride, and he had forecasted that that the the we finally could be out of poopy suits. <laughs> and I think Blitz Norman, like who's who's real tough on people, was his IP or whatever. We're about to step out, and the top three is telling us that the target it was an OCA ball, and the targets at the north always like not named geographically are um are beneath the line so we all got to wear poopy suits and bender at the desk changes he just gets new coordinates out of his in-flight guide and changes all of the targets <laughs> so that we don't have to be in poopy suits and just hands them to people so we don't have to fly it was the strongest thing that i'd ever been a part of and then we stepped we just new targets that i never put because i was new but it's great that's all right just hanging on the, uh, yeah, hang on, man. Oh. I, yeah, I did what he told me. See, and I respect that Bender does that because it's a combination of uh, not wanting to be told what to do and having the will to do something about it. So I appreciate that. The uh, what about Drago? Didn't didn't you come up with the uh, just the what was it the cutoff poopy suit? So it was just the neck and the the little. Yeah, we told him uh, a roll call, man. It was just the neck and then the and the wrist. You could wear them outside of your flight suit, so it looked like you had a suit on. But if you want to sit, you just like the scarecrow from uh, from Wizard of Oz, man. <laughs> we only told the couple. We didn't tell Ape we were cutting those, um, so we had to stop doing that. But it was a good idea for like two days. Yeah, yeah. A, a, it was definitely a good story. Seizure when they saw that. <laughs> they were the condemned ones, though. We weren't taking like we weren't taking them out of like dudes' lockers, but they they still like they had a fit. Yeah, it wasn't. They have like serial numbers. It wasn't great. Oh man, that's great. Yeah, that's the stuff. I mean, it just it just seemed seemed good. It was it was fun. It was a good time. The uh, so how was it? How was it kind of? Once you, you obviously we get that experience and then you go to like Wick and then you, you see, you know, cause every squadron has like their things and then you go learn that those things are like very one-offs, you know, it's not like, Oh, everybody doesn't do this. Like the winds and waves thing. But then you go to Holloman and you're like, cause you went like, 
how was it transitioning to like, I'm an FTU IP just out of WIC versus like, Hey, it's, it's the wild west and we do whatever we want. I think, well, I think it was a lot easier cause I always, cause I was in the training command for three years prior to being in the wild west, as you call it. And like Masawa, you know, we did, we did some stuff and we had a great time, man. And they, they were real cool to us the way that I don't think they could be in 2022 about like, you know, walking the line as fighter pilots. But I already had lived in the training command for a long time. So going back, I didn't necessarily enjoy it, but I understood it. You know what I mean? Like I, it, I didn't get there and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I, I like, I understand ATC and how it works. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge uh, transition. And like, you know, I love instructing. And so I, I like, it's a good, it's a good job. You know, to teach people like the coolest thing that, that they may ever get to do is, is awesome. So I enjoyed being there and I enjoyed the people I got to work with and the people I got to teach. But it wasn't it wasn't as big of a, as an adjustment, man. Did you go to WIC? Um, it's obviously. What's Did up? Did you go to WIC right out of Misawa? Yeah, actually, I went to WIC so quick that by the time I was done with my three year ADSC at Misawa, I was done with WIC and back at Misawa. So I did two and a half years in the F-16 and I went to WIC. How is that? I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Spicy. I think it was, people says, people say, I just, I, it was a lot of, it was a lot of work, you know, because <laughs> it is to, to get to that level. And, and WIC is a, WIC is a terrible place to go when you know you're not qualified to be there, you know? And uh, and having to be there and have that knowledge and then not wear that knowledge every day when you're doing like they're like hey you're in far, you're in charge of this eight v twenty whatever you know and you're like you're in the EOR watching an air show and you're like this is and you for one moment you're like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen you realize that's your entire red air package and you're like not as cool you know <laughs> but I find some of those dudes over to Target later uh, that's you know like it, you can't really enjoy it the same. Um, but I had I had a really good time at WIC because I uh, it just it's it's the best flying you'll ever do. Like I appreciate it every day is just like cool fighter jet flying. Cause honestly, like I flew with people that taught me how to be in the F sixteen that just taught me how to appreciate like the fighter aviation for what it is. Like sometimes you just gotta go raise your face off in F sixteens and let it be what it is. You know? And there's guys that are scared to do that at WIC sometimes and I was never scared to do that. I just want to do the coolest things imaginable all the time. You know what I mean? I just wanted to loft CBU. This dude's letting see you at 20,000 feet, man. Get out of here. <laughs> you know? Get him off, though. Put him on a timer. Yeah. Uh, but I... So... Is that... What do you do? Do you loft it? Do you just, do you yeah. just see the low bar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you could yes. get a one-time waiver to sled some CBU on the Uter. You can do it on the Uter, man. That's tough. <laughs> I was sure they figured out. No, but it was yeah. the the wig thing was crazy because they wanted they needed somebody I think due to the F thirty five. Honestly, the F thirty five was taking a lot of applicants from the F sixteen community was starting to at its genesis, and they needed to open up the pool of people that uh, were going to be accepted to wig to give us enough weapons officers to to have enough people to do that job in units. And so I think they were looking for somebody of of my age and qualifications to go to WIC so they could prove that a person could go to WIC. So I was the first fate in like since we got radars in the F-16 to like go to WIC. 
and it had been like a, a be no, we shall not do age waivers. But in my class was uh, another dude who was a lot older and then like a aggressor dude who had never done that before. And so I think they were just looking for a way to like open up the talent pool. So part of it was, was I was doing okay, but part of it was they needed people of like that specific like age demographic to go. So um, I, I was I was lucky to go, and I think I, I viewed it through that lens. Like I was lucky to to have a chance to go to Wick, and I was just kind of grateful for all the cool stuff I got to do. And I I slept enough to keep going, you know. <laughs> Wick Wick's hard, man. Yeah. It's fine. So one of the <laughs> one of the stories I love, and if you don't want to share it, you don't feel free not to. But uh, one of the stories I really enjoy about Weapon School is that. Uh, obviously, weapons school kind of starts off with BFM, so dogfighting, uh, and kind of the number one dogfighter in the upgrading class kind of gets to go BFM other jets in the, like, Franken jet that the weapons school has. So can you kind of share those stories because those are some of my favorites. Yeah, so the, the Viper's crazy because you've got a lot of different blocks of the Viper, and, and it, honestly – we know what they are now, but like two years ago, if you would have asked me like what a block 32 was, like, I don't know, man, like, let's, let's Google it. But they just put different <laughs> motors in them and they don't really tell you which one it is. So you're kind of just like guessing the start sequence and what you have to do. Like if the motor quits that day, it's just a fun game. We play in the Viper, man. So, uh, the weapon squad, this one jet was four, nine, nine. It was a block 42, which is uh lighter because it doesn't have an interrogator for a lot of other reasons, but it had a Pratt and Whitney 229 in it which is a, a a gigantic motor and uh, it's not supposed to go in that particular airplane, but they put it in that airplane. So this, this airplane could go to space. Like <laughs> F, you can feel the difference in F-16s, like thrust away ratio when you fly them. The Block 30 is like amazing. The Block 50 is amazing. The Block 52 is amazing. And they're all like a little bit different, but they're all real good. Uh, this thing though, it would, it it was impossible to, to lose if you just, remember to pull your power to idle at some time so you didn't black out you know what i mean so <laughs> so i get done with my bfm phase at wick and then they just start doing like the top gun 1v1 thing where like if you're done you get to go fly like a little bit of dact and so i took this jet out to fly like other airplanes in the knitter and they're just like meet me at this point at this time and you just merge with whoever it is but you know he's probably better than you but he's not in 499 dude and so i would <laughs> go out there and you would just rape and it's because it's the best BFM fighter outside of an F-22 on the planet. And I don't know what happened to it. I imagine they crashed it into a mountain after somebody blacked out in it, dude. It was, that, that plane was insane. But I, I, was, I got to a point where I got it to a guy at the floor, and I had to stack away to get range back to try to gun him because I had driven through all my missile wezzes, as is tradition. <laughs> so you got to get him with the gun now. And, and I rolled up when I finally felt like I was looking down and I had enough range from him. And I got a radar lock and I didn't have like a gun solution. I couldn't figure it out. And it's because um, I'd stacked back to like 16, like our, our start altitude. <laughs> and so I was like out of, <laughs> I was vertically outside of the max range of the gun was just where that jet had taken me because it, it could, it could still be climbing right now. If it's, if it had enough gas, it was, it was incredible. But that's cool. I was like, cool stuff. You get to do a wick and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm good enough to be here, but like, I'm glad I got to fly that sort of, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, you still have nothing to pack all your stuff in case you had to go home tomorrow. You know, but you're like, that was a good one for the kids. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome, and that's the cool thing. Like, there's there's so many opportunities. You know, we have a lot of we have a lot of people who are who are, you know, hoping to be fighter pilots, currently fighter pilots, and I think 
one of the awesome things is just the stories and the experiences we get to have because they're they're very uncommon. You know, it's not a normal thing to do this job and have those experiences and to 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 do something like that and and get to tell that story. And, and you know, obviously, hopefully, everybody kind of understands what he was talking about. But just uh, pretty much what you saw in uh, Top Gun Maverick—that's what Drago was doing to uh, other jets. You know, at the very end. Um, <laughs> we'll go. We'll go. Yeah. I did, yeah. <laughs> I, I did some losses, man. There was some, there was some L's. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, Bender, what do you got? You've been, we've had tons of connectivity issues. So, uh, sideways. Now, <laughs> sideways. So this is, <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare of editing and, uh, I've, and he's gone. <laughs> This is like what now Bender fell out with this flashes. Is, none of this. That. I mean, like jab a pin in my eye. So enjoy this one, my friend. There's like nine Vader's. Yeah, that's what. See, this is Vader a division of labor. Wi-Fi or no? You think he just like forgot to do it? He's on like 3G out in Hawaii right now. Just can't make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I I've got the uh, I've got the Marriott points, so I'm uh, I'm on like the super fast internet. So we're good to go over here. I have no idea why Rain's video is is crazy. I'm on the the Navy Lodge Wi-Fi, which is just super great. Yeah, this is this is right. I'm done. I'm done. It's a cola. He's a oh yeah. It's oh that's awesome. But let's see. This thing sucks. That's where it all so started. Drago, me, man. I was a whiting dude down at Pensacola. I flew down there, T thirty four turbo mentors. I've I've heard that that course is chill compared to Air Force pilot training. Yeah, that's a way to say that, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool way to say that. It's yeah. it's different, man. It's different and not and not like guys in the Air Force act like it's worse, but it's not, man. It's yeah. just it's just a different way to like view and and do aviation. I just dude, I just got back from doing the Top Gun one v one like Top Gun grab, uh, yeah. TDY, uh, with Block Thirties, and then we went to Boise and then went back home. Uh, and the Navy is just really cool about how they treat aviation, especially at Fallon. Like that was a very special place on on how to how to see like guys still revere fighter aviation. You know, yeah, it was cool to be a part of. That is cool. One. So for everybody who doesn't know Fallon one V one. So Fallon is where Top Gun currently is. So, you know, they North Island is where it used to be, used to be. They moved it to Fallon just outside of Reno. Um, and they, every year they put on, uh, or twice a year, they put on a one V one. So they bring a bunch of different types of jets, C models, F 16s, F 35s, uh, out. And then they all show up and they just get a, uh, I've never been, so Drago, correct me if I'm saying false things, but they get like a location, so coordinates and a time, and they just meet there at an altitude, and then they fight whatever they see. So if they see a Hornet, they legacy Hornet or a Super Hornet uh, or anything like that, and then it's just a great time to just fight your bros, you know, Drago. What what I miss? No, I said, dude, it was it was the coolest thing ever, man. They put it on right too. Like you get there, they handed you. They handed me a, a packet with my call sign on it, like in, encased in plastic. It had the course rules on it because I had done no preparation whatsoever. 
So I had no idea how to like taxi or take off or land, you know? And they were just like, here are the three things you say and do. And I was like, all right, cool. And Fallon's like five miles from its airspace. So it's pretty easy to get in and out. Um, <clears throat> they're very accommodating. It's, it's a, it's like a really classy thing they do. And they just hand you this card and it, the card doesn't have a takeoff taxi anytime. It just says, Hey, merge at this point at this time, you know, start at this cap. And you go out there and you just merge with whoever you, you merge with. <clears throat> and I ended up, uh, I ended up fighting a, a legacy Hornet, which that, that story was told before we merged, man, you know, but he did it. He did a good job. <laughs> I, I waxed him. I waxed him all over the place out in that airspace. And then we came back and we drank about it, man. It was perfect. Yeah. Just a, just the a way fantastic it should be. About it, day, dude. For, so Drago and I, we graduation. I missed that part. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Top <laughs> it was, it was a really cool thing. So I was, I was jealous that it, Oh, we got echoing now. The, oh gosh. The, uh, so I was jealous that I didn't get to go. The, and then I was even more jealous because I talked to my buddy, uh, Snapper, who's at McIntyre. And he's like, uh, hey, I'm here with your buddy Drago. Uh, and then yeah, I find out dude, later. Yeah, he's he's great. Awesome guy. He's so I dude. get a FaceTime call at 1.30 in the morning from Boom Saunders. And I don't answer it because I'm asleep. And uh, I just get a text after that says, answer my FaceTime call. Uh, so I find out the next morning that my friends that I've made at Misawa, McIntyre, Holloman, Fresno, and at Klamath are all in Fallon hanging out together. And I was like, that is either a wonderful time or a terrible time because they all know me. And I, I don't even want to know if I hope I was not talked about at that point, but that was probably an awesome time. I was I was sad to miss that. To this bucket list, man, you got to you got to go out and do that thing. It's a class act. You get to fight cool airplanes. Uh, if you do everything right, you'll win. Come back, talk about it in the O Club, man. The way the way it was intended to be. It was it was it was great. Yeah, those were wholesome. Yeah, the uh, one thing that Drago and I would do when we were at Holloman, and I highly recommend this to. Uh, people in all jobs, but specifically fighter pilots is uh scotch nights. So you just roll over to a friend's house. You bring one bottle of scotch. It's been ops tested. Do not bring more than one bottle of scotch, depending on your numbers. Uh, but when it's like three of you or uh, four of you, one bottle of scotch probably is enough. And uh, you just sit there until the bottle's gone. And uh, you solve the world's problems. You just, uh, you don't have to drink. You, uh, you got to write them down, though, is the trick. You can right. never remember them, but they're there somewhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, how was how was it rain and Bender? Bender, maybe you were there on the latter end of it, but when the whole Shaw gate and all that stuff happened, was there not a lot of, like, squadron bar activities and stuff like that going on? I think... I can probably tell you in my first two years, I think I had a beer in the squadron and that was at a OG call and it was a you know, mandatory OG call with all the fighter squadrons and he brought in a cooler beer, but you felt like you were going to jail if you took a sip of beer. It was like mandatory fun to show like, oh, it's okay again. Like everything is fine. So, I mean, I think Shaw really suffered for several years for multitude of reasons. But I remember like I showed up, I mean, it was like working at IBM, but with 12 and 14 hour days, you know, no one would want to hang out afterwards and, and 
talking the bar, whether you're having a drink or not. But usually in a fighter squadron, that is where a lot of learning is going to occur. You're going to share a lot of stories and experiences. And that didn't happen at Shaw. Like you, whatever you had to do, show up, go to the vault, do your thing, and then get out. And any kind of roll call, all the roll calls had to be off base. We would do them when we went to Red Flag in Vegas. But it was a completely different dynamic. I think, Bender, when you did show up, like it was starting to like turn and kind of like trying to breathe back some of that fighter pilot culture into it. And things and things in the fighter pilot culture have changed. And we like can all attest to that just in our short time span. But Shaw was really bad for a time period. Hopefully it's gotten better, but it's not a good thing when people aren't willing and don't or don't have the drive that want to hang around outside of what the obligations to your job are. Because really where you get that cohesiveness, I think you guys all agree is it's standing there after the sortie, hanging out in in the bar, just chatting. Maybe again, having a beer, maybe not. Um, but that, that that stuff just didn't happen. It was a it was like working at IBM, which is terrible hours. It goes back to I always make this argument. If you talk about like a, an ops group commander or a wing commander, like at Shaw, for instance, right? Three fighter squadrons, three seed squadrons. So someone correct me on my math, right? But that's probably forty percent of the nation's well. F-16 seed capability, right? Um, But they're tasked to go out there, kill and break things on a daily basis. But there's so many times that things have to go above the wing commander to get a waiver or have to go above the option commander to get a waiver. And you're like, all right, so you're telling me, okay, I get you don't trust me or the other major or the lieutenant colonel, but you don't trust the group commander who's a colonel or the wing commander who's a colonel that has, you know, 25%, 40% 25%, 40% of the nation's seed capability at his disposal to make these simple decisions. You have to elevate it up to a two-star or a four-star to get it done. That's when I really started having a beef. I guess it's a jobs program to a certain extent. I don't know. Get salty. We need Bender to get in here and give us salt. Yeah, salt Bender quote. just, well, I'll, I'll throw some salt out there. Yeah. So uh, I won't name the wing commander, but Drago, you know him well. He was the full up wing commander that took over as I was I was I was leaving Misawa, and uh, he solid mustache. If that uh, if that you know you guys both probably know who I'm talking about. And um, but he so we went to Malaysia, which I wanted to tell that story, but we're getting long in the tooth here, so we can't tell the Malaysia stories. Uh, God, but one, <laughs> I know. Well, we might we might circle back to that. But so we go to Malaysia. We're in Malaysia in like a month, for a month. We stop in uh, Yakota for 48 hours. Then we go to, to uh, Alaska because, goodness forbid, we just go straight back to Misawa and actually see our family and our children. We have to stay in Yakota for 48 hours after being in Malaysia for a month, then go to Alaska for a month, and then we can't get back. We're stuck in Alaska. So now a two-month TDY turns into two months and two weeks, two months and three weeks. And so we get back, and our squadron commander at the time, who, uh, good dude, he gets a request from the wing to have a CGO, like a CGO luncheon with the wing commander. And he's like, Vader, you're going. And I was like, you don't, you don't want to send me to this. Like, this is not a good idea. And he was like, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Like, you know, what's going on. Like I'm, I'm about to PCS. Like I've got really nothing to lose here. So we're at the luncheon and we sit down and, 
you know, it's like all the CGOC and like a couple of fighter pilots. The CGOC is the company uh, company grade officer committee or something like that. It's uh, again fighter squadrons. We have the we have the benefit of having like thirty of our friends to work with every day, and other career fields have the commander, the subordinate officer, and then mainly enlisted. So I get it why the CGOC exists, but we're all sitting there. And I asked the wing commander, I was like, hey, sir, like you had, so our job, like the whole fight tonight thing is to be ready for war in the Pacific in a, on a moment's notice. You had one squadron stuck for weeks in Alaska after having been gone for two months and another squadron stuck in Australia. So we had zero seed coverage in the Pacific. And I was like, what did PACF, like how'd they feel about that? And his response was, well, you know, I don't know. I emailed them every day and they never got back to me. And that's when I realized, like, it doesn't actually, like, they don't actually care. You know what I mean? Like the whole, the thing that we talk about and we actually train to, they're like, yeah, it'll buff out. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's what kind of make me, made me even more salty when it, when even as a captain talking to the wing commander, like you said, the guy who, if anybody can control that iron, it should be the wing commander. And he was like, yeah, I got nothing. Crappy. I just figure if it happens, you know, we'll figure it out. It's the theme, right? Like I think any Drago said it for like, you're dealing with the organization of people who get things done. And so that's usually what happens. And it's on the backs of people who, just want to get, just want to win and want to be the best, you know, good or bad. That that's tough. It's tough to do that. Cause then you, you push people out. Like you ask them to outperform and, and make it happen. And at some point people are like, I'm tired of that because they can do a lot of other stuff that doesn't ask them to do that. I haven't heard, I haven't heard anyone getting out. So it's strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Flying, flying big fat fatties. Right. Um. <laughs> oh man well i think we uh i mean oh bender what do you got well, gonna, when did you get to the panthers were you there in to, uh, october 2015 yep did you go to that deployment or when we went to osan remember that one vader we left like at two in the morning for us on when you got to edit that out. We never name drop when it's going to be making fun I, of someone. <laughs> I probably won't edit it out. Took, as he took sweep and Nike. Yeah. Wait. It was when they were supposed to launch like, yep. Yeah. You might've been in our cell. Anyway, that was like the most terrifying night of my life was, I think you two were there in that, but the first we'd like got put into crew rest and they had this all like gonked out scheduled that, like, again, I can't remember. I think you two might have been in that one. But we were supposed to, like, go to bed and be ready to launch at, like, 7 in the morning because there's a whole, like, group of 10 that were going to launch, like, that evening. But they got delayed in their jets until, like, 11 at night or something. And so they were all like, nah, it's an ORM. It's an exceedance of our ORM or whatever. So they called, like, two hours into everybody's sleep cycle, they called the rest of us to launch. So I, like, went to bed at 9 and got called at 11.30. And they're like, you're leaving. Come in as fast as you can. Were you, I can't, I just, I, I just have this memory of Drago being in that formation, but I could be remembering that wrong. I think, I think it was, we sweet. Like, it was either sweet or Nike. Maybe it was sweet. 
Probably was sweet. But they launched us, and they're like, there are tankers over the Sea of Japan. They'll be like 27,000 feet. They'll be up this frequency. Just like find your way there. And Japan goes to sleep at like midnight. So there's no like Japanese air controllers or anything. So we just like launch into blindness, like start heading, you know, whatever west towards like the Koreas. And I don't know how we found we eventually like on the radar found this tanker on guard, like get connected to them. And then there ends up being two tankers. So we have this we're in the middle of the weather and all of a sudden the shadow just like flies over the top of everybody. And we had zero idea that there was a tanker, a second tanker in this airspace. And we had like a 500 foot pass, like as we're trying to get on the boom of this thing at two 30 in the freaking morning, trying to go to Korea for this exercise. I'm like, that's, and it was like the good idea. That was the same. I won't, uh, well, we can call nicknames, right? But that was a good time. Timmy Jim was like, Oh yeah, we can totally, it was two hours notice. We will send our entire squadron over to Korea. Like, no worries or whatever. So they all like patted themselves on the back. Meanwhile, we almost lost like six jets in, in this super terrible idea. Uh, anyway, that was one of the the other lose faith, like in the leadership ability of, you know, certain ranks and above. Yeah, that was a, that was a harrowing evening. I remember, I think I was the cell after you guys. Um, and we, uh, I flew with burn over there and that was, that was an experience. Oh, yeah. Burn. I remember yes. yeah. <laughs> launch, launch the alert tug. Drago, you got to tell that one. So, okay. So we're at Masawa when you are flying, uh, pits. So hot pits are maybe they, they are exactly what they sound like. You don't shut the jet off maintenance just plugs in and then refuels the jet while it's running. Because if you fly airplanes, you know, when you shut them down, they just break. So you don't shut them down. You just fuel them back up and send the pilots back airborne, which makes for like five and a half, six hours in the airplane each day. Um, but the problem you run into is you all launch at the same time and you all do like BFM or ACM where you burn a lot of gas fast and you all land at the same time. So instead of just like a gas station where you like zip in, get gas in like five minutes and leave, it takes like 15, 20 minutes per jet with two hot pits running and you have 16 jets. So there's a point where if you're the last one to land, you've got like 40 minutes, like an hour wait to get gas. And you have a minimum of 600 pounds on the ground that you can have in your aircraft. So everybody starts padding their gas. So now we're taking off with, I don't know, call it 8,000 pounds gas. But we have to land with 3,000 pounds of gas just to wait an hour, possibly, to refuel to go back out. You, so, some, of us, some of us had to land with 3,000 pounds of gas. That's true. So now I'm going to hand this over to you, Drago, so just be prepared. So now <laughs> a bunch of us are all flying, and a bunch of us are landed. And we all come back, and we're like, man, you know, where'd that other formation go? I, that's, I mean, they should be on the ground any minute now because they're, they've been airborne for a while uh, as compared to the rest of us. So Drago, I mean, you were there. So wh what, what happens next? <clears throat> I was in the EOR, man. And it's like, you, you pad your gas and you know, this is going to happen. So you're like, you're eating like a peanut butter sandwich, man. You've like filled up some piddle packs. You're, you're pretty chill. You know, I was like in a constant upgrade. So I was thinking about all the stuff I should have, should have done better. Right. And I was just like running through it over and over. And I was like, well, hope that doesn't happen again. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and we've been sitting there for probably like 25 minutes 
and we're all monitoring the ops frequency, which is where we're coordinating the taxi flow to get to and from the hot pit, which are in these uh, these hardened shelters, right? And the F-16 comes barreling down the runway. And it's not like slowing down, dude. It's at the three board going, I don't know. It's going 120 <laughs> knots maybe at the three board, dude. Like just trying to just trying to get there as quickly as possible. And I'm thinking maybe there's like an emergency I don't know about. And, uh, and he peels off the runway. He peels off the runway like, like cartoonishly, like I've never seen an F-16 turn that sharp on the ground and just gets D-arm. Like we're all just waiting in D-arm and like doesn't even pull into the D-arm to get his gear pinned. And then immediately on us, it's like, Ops, we be 2-1 or whatever it was that day. He's like, he's like, oh, who's on the pits right now? And he can see there's like eight jets waiting for the pits, right? And, um, and I was just like, well, like, this is the order of people. And like, it takes like 30 seconds to list the eight dudes there to go through the pits because those are the rules. And, and we be three one that day is like, he's like, I can't, I can't support that. I got like 750 pounds of gas. <laughs> and he's like breathing real heavy. You know, he's just sweating through his poopy suit. You can just see him. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's like just parked parallel to the fucking, to the EOR in the taxiway, man. And uh, and it's just a lot of stress going on in this airplane that has just landed that seems like it doesn't need to be happening. And uh, and Ops is like, well, man, you're like number nine for the pits. And then he goes, he, he makes this actual radio call. He goes, launch the alert, Doug. Because <laughs> he was going to shut down. Because uh, he couldn't make it to the pits. He was going to shut down in the middle of the taxiway. And the maintenance was going to have to come out and tug him back to the original parking spot. And it, it is to this day like top five most <laughs> shameful radio calls I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, one of the one and of the funniest poor, ones. Though, man. It was, it was and the poor, poor sweep was just along for the ride. He was just the wingman. <laughs> I forgot sweep made her if he shut down. Yeah, At that getting point, drug you on you it. Your lines and just call it a call it a loss, man. Like, hey, just buy made it a bottle, dude. I'm sorry about the fuel lines. Yeah, <laughs> didn't work out. That's. For an impromptu low level on the way home across Japan. That's right. Just Dude, cause... They, left from, they left from our airspace was a hundred miles away. And instead of coming back at, you know, VFR 27.5, like everybody else to save gas, they, they ripped the low level through the Japanese countryside. <laughs> Shut down when, the when the mood strikes. <laughs> when the mood strikes. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man. That's what I mean. Just wild stuff. Um, that was wild. <laughs> Yeah. That was funny. That was the funniest radio call I may have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> oh man, Bender, what else? What am I missing? Well, I don't know. I think we got to let Rain go to bed. He's he's like on vacation from his twins, so oh it's yeah, time get for him to get sleep. some rest. Not that he's getting vacation, yeah, just in case yeah, his uh, wife's missing. But that's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good We're point. Whatever. Right. None of our wives listen to this. I know that's that for a fact. Well, I know my wife doesn't listen to this. Yeah, no. They they have to hear us talk all the time. Why would they want to listen yeah, to us on here? Wanted to yeah. listen to your voice. Awesome. Said no wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Drago, we really appreciate you uh, joining us on the show because uh, 
you're you're an awesome dude. We appreciate you. We appreciate the hard work you put in, and uh, hopefully you can make it to Valley Thunder to uh, to party and uh, rake with some uh, eagles out there. Dude, I'm I'm down. I'll I'll see you in uh, Fresno in February, dude. Done. Bring Look at that. Maybe we'll do we'll do uh, in person uh, Kodiak Shack bro chat with uh, Rain and uh, Bender because they travel easy. You know, they're they're at the uh, the airlines. Uh, we got, we got yeah. the Wi-Fi situation doped out for Bender, but I'm I'm in, man. Yeah, my house Wi-Fi is full up, so we'll be good. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate All you right. guys, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. All awesome. right, bye everybody. All right. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.